Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Just head to the iTunes Store and type in Jazz Session, and you'll see a listing for the show. You can subscribe, and then you'll always have every episode right there on your computer whenever you want it, and it's free. Another completely free way to get every episode of the show is to head to thejazzsession.com, where you'll find a show archive link that will give you all the past shows. At thejazzsession.com, you'll also find information about our contests and live jazz news, links to uh, other jazz sites, transcriptions of interviews, other jazz writing that I've been doing, some bloggy type stuff. It's it's madness, and I encourage you to check it out immediately. Thank you. Also, don't forget, there are a number of ways to contact the show. You can always send me an email. It's jason at thejazzsession.com, jason at thejazzsession.com. There's also a contact page at the website. Or you can call our new phone number, 631-619-JAZZ. That's 631 619 5299. This week's guest is singer Stevie Holland. She's got a brand new album called Before Love Has Gone, and it opens with this karaoke. Say, have you seen the karaoke? It's not a foxtrot or a polka. It has a little bit of new rhythm, a blue rhythm inside. It has a Tricky, a bit of wicked, wacky, wicky. But when you dance it with a new love, there'll be true love in her eyes. You dream of the new karaoke, its theme is a kiss and a sigh. together they say are better than one two heads together that's how the dance has begun two arms around you and lips that sigh i am yours and you are mine while the karaoke carries you away mine while we karaoke till the break of day and you are mine now that you're done karaoke, you'll never care to do the... My guest is Stevie Holland. She's got a brand new recording out called Before Love Has Gone, and it features some standards that, well, some standards you'll know, and some that I have to admit were new to me, and also some original composition, and it's a real pleasure to have Stevie on the show to talk about this record. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Jason. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Good, good. I, I really enjoyed this album, and like I said, there were a couple tunes on here that I had never uh, really heard before, in addition, obviously, to the, the things that you had you had written. Um, well, that's the idea. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the idea. Oh, the, the unsung standards uh, that I hope will become new standards. Um, well, one of the tunes, I don't know if you're... You, you should tell me what you weren't familiar with, maybe, so I don't... Uh, 
So I don't say something like, how deep is the ocean, which I'm sure you are familiar yeah, with. Yeah, that, <laughs> that one I'd heard before. Um, I think maybe... Maybe the only one I hadn't actually uh, heard, or maybe just not in a long time, was "Make Our Garden Grow." Okay, well that uh, uh, that is not your shirt. That's, I don't think there's ever been a jazz recording of it. Um, that is from Bernstein's "Candide," and it's the finale of "Candide." I'll tell you, every song on this album, that's, uh, and of course, including the ones that I've written myself, um, actually, it was a project that uh, each tune. Uh, really came from a, a personal experience in my life, and it's a song that I've been wanting to do for so long and hadn't had a chance until this this recording. And it's a very it's a romantic album. Um, and make our garden grow. I first heard it because most people know of it as this big bombastic finale to Candide, sung by these choirs with modulations, and you know who would ever think of it as a, as a jazz tune. But I heard it as a teenager. Um, it was my first vocal coach. I actually got married, and she and her husband sang it at their wedding, and I was so impressed by its intimacy and beauty, and I've always heard it as a you know, really intimate uh, kind of song, and so that's, that's what we tried to, tried to do with it and how we tried to put it across this time. So that's, that's the story behind Make Our Garden Grow. Leonard Bernstein, and it's also his 90th birthday so this year, so we figured it was apropos as well. Now, you, uh, one of the songs that's on this record, in fact, the one that closes it, is called Here's to Your Illusions, which is given a, a gorgeous reading on the album and which uh, contains, you. you're welcome, contains lyrics by Yip Harburg, who I understand you actually had a chance to meet. Right? Yeah. Well, that, that, this is definitely another oddball tune. Um, I mean, we think of Yip Harburg and all of his Harold Arlen collaborations and The Wizard of Oz. He wrote a show with Sammy Fain uh, back in the 50s. Um, it was actually, I think it was Barbara Carroll's first show. Ema Sumac was in it. Um, and Professor Erwin Corey, before we, he became professor, was in it. And it was this crazy flop of a show about a doll factory. And when I was... Uh, in, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I was about 13 or 13 years old, yeah, um, at uh, Summer Theater in my, my, my hometown, we did a production of Flahooli, and Yip Harburg uh, came on the set a few times and, and hung out, and it was such a thrill for me because uh, I, I, would, I, it was very unusual to have an opportunity to meet a, you know, a writer of the quote-unquote Great American Songbook, and uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And this song, Here's to Your Illusions, is the, it's the ingenue song. It's this beautiful love song, and, uh, and I was just... just dumb kid in the chorus singing and I said someday I'm going to sing that song and so that's that's also been sort of in my my trunk for a while and I, I think it's really deserving of uh, of more visits and I hope that you know by putting it out on this album that uh, it will get more visits and, and more uh, recordings because I think it's a, it's a standard in the making. Now at 13 did you realize that Yip Harburg was a writer of the Great American Songbook? Well, I knew he was, I, I knew Wizard of Oz, you know, so that was, that was enough for me to be starstruck. I knew that he was the guy who wrote the words that, that Dorothy sang and, and some of those great big blues, uh, tunes that Lena Horne sang or, uh, you know, maybe, dare I say, Barbara Streisand at the time. But, uh, I knew he was a, I knew he was a, a big, a big macha, as we would say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only Yiddish speaking Viking Gentile you're gonna <laughs> come across. Uh, it's like the United Nations all in one record. It's you amazing. bet, you bet. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I know that you uh, are the youngest of seven and that your dad was also a musician, a professional saxophone player. And can you talk a little bit about uh, what effect your upbringing has had on, on what you're doing with your life now? Oh, it had a big effect. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of music. Actually, my father, uh, being the youngest, he, my dad was actually, a, I mean, technically nine. I only grew up with seven, but my dad was uh, significantly older, and, and his brother, my Uncle Mike, was actually uh, Fred Astaire's music director in the USO. Uh, he played accordion and piano, and a lot of, lot of, uh, 
a lot of the great American songbook coming out. But my dad was a jazz fanatic. Uh, he didn't end up uh, sticking with the profession. He went into commercial art, but he, he blew the sax his whole life. And, I mean, when we were... God bless him, he was a bit manic with everything in life and certainly with music. And so, I mean, when I was five years old, you know, I had to learn how to shut up if a Ben Webster solo was uh, was being played. And we, we to, to some degree, I had a lot sort of really, you know, crammed down. Um, and maybe I, I rebelled a little bit as a teenager. All my siblings were into folk and rock, and I was exposed to all different types of music. But by the time I started maturing and growing up, I really went back to jazz, and I really went back to all of the great music that my father had introduced me to once I could do it at my own my own pace, but um, but I had a, a fabulous education, and uh, he had. I mean, our, our house was wall to wall seventy eights, and then some of the the wildest uh, collection of music I had ever ever been exposed to. I think anybody would be exposed to, but uh, it, uh, it, it 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 sinks in. You know, you 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 reject it if it's if it's forced on you, but then if it's if it's good, it it stays there and it comes back. So I'm I'm grateful for the education I had with my dad. When did you decide to seriously focus on music as your career? Well, I, I was always um, I was always musical. I was a singer. I was always a bit of a of a performer. So I had uh, I had a love of the theater when I was younger, and I I went to study music and and theater at uh, NYU. But I didn't want to be in musical theater, so I studied drama and music separately and and poli sci minor. But if I basically my whole life i think i i knew i wanted to be in music i had a lot of a lot of other interests and i'm you know other other talents i suppose but uh but it's it's always been music and i guess by the time i was in my early 20s i i really committed i had a couple of di- diversions and i i had a knack of turning a couple of jobs into careers along the way just to pay the bills but it was always music I wonder, as a as a vocalist, was it more difficult for you to kind of break into the the music world? It seems like there are just so many singers that it, it must be a challenging field. 
Well, it's always tough. First of all, when it, I, I wish, I wish, I wish. I mean, my sister was a classical pianist, and I ended up having to. There were too many, too many musicians in the household, so she got to stick with the piano lessons, and I ended up with I don't know classical Spanish guitar, which I didn't stick with. And I'm very sorry that I don't accompany myself. That's my biggest regret because I think for most singers, it's you know when you have if you do not play, if you're not a, a, a playing musician, um, you have to rely on performing and gigging with other musicians so that that's always tougher um i think if i had you know been able to play i could just hang out in lounges and get work everywhere and just uh, it, would, it would come a lot easier but um yeah there are there are a lot of singers out there and i think uh but there's there's a lot of great talent at every you know every musical field right now so um i think it's just about finding your own voice literally and figuratively and sticking with it and uh and uh I don't know. I don't know if it's tougher for a singer, actually. What What were some of the first steps that you took when you were kind of deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on to the exclusion of all else? Hmm. Well, the first thing, I, well, really to the exclusion of all else. Well, okay, okay, I'll back up a few steps. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I was... I was out. I was doing everything. I was auditioning for theater. I was I was singing in some small cabaret rooms in New York, um, and then I I did divert a little bit. I I took a job in a in a sales room on Seventh Avenue, and I don't know somehow they thought I was a lot older than I was because I was a real old soul, and I ended up becoming the national sales manager. So I, I was 20 years old, and these guys were flying me all around the country, and I was in this exciting world of fashions. So, so for five minutes, that kind of took me away from music, although I was always singing for my orders, and that was a big thing with my clients. But um, <laughs> then I left that, and again, I was buckling down with the singing, but I still needed to pay the bills here, a single girl in New York. And uh, I had friends who were uh, the, the heirs to this huge photo archive, um, Culver Pictures, and I came in to help them organize, and somehow I became the vice president of the company, and I stayed there for a couple of years. But I, during that time was performing um, quite a bit in the uh, New York cabaret circuit. And then finally, I, I was 26 years old, and I just said, this is it, you know, it's now or never, and I don't, it's very easy to, I've got this great job, and it's great to, you know, I could stay in this nice little cushion, but it's it's too demanding, and I'm never going to be able to, to work on my music and write. I was starting to write uh, at that time in my life, and um, I knew that unless I just really committed and, you know, just took a dumb job or whatever I needed to do, you know, if I couldn't always sing for my money, uh uh, I had to leave, and so that was that was really the turning point in my life. Um, that I just said, "That's it, you know, no, no more gigs that turn into some kind of <laughs> major profession other than other than music." So that's a pretty brave move. Yeah, some would say stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I it was. I think you know. Well, I look. I was young enough to still be stupid, so and brave. But uh, yeah, uh, you have to. You it, it, you, you you cannot have it both ways you know you have to commit to some degree and it's it, it um to have a serious other career is just it's just going to take away from the art so you have to suffer you know you got to accept i'll be poor for a while you know and that's do right what you have do what you have to do <laughs> and that's it now one of the folks uh involved with this record is todd barkin who is yep. a, a jazz impresario and a very famous club owner and he's been involved in countless recordings and oh, yeah. he uh he said about your version of lazy afternoon here that it was one of the best vocals he's ever recorded in his career which seems like pretty high praise to me and uh, i wonder if there's something was something special about this song is this another story from your past that you really connected um, with lazy afternoon 
Not this is one song that just I have it's it's just a chestnut that I've loved for so many years and always wanted to record and I I did used to perform it um, way early on in in my life uh, performing career centuries ago of course I'm at the ripe old age of 562 right now but um, no I think Todd part of what brought him to say that we. We just uh, had an approach with his chart, very, very intimate. Uh, Ole Matisson, a fellow Viking and, and sax player who I've worked with a few times, uh, um, we brought him on board for this. And uh, it was one of those songs that um, we just went into the studio, Ole showed up, and, I mean, we did one take, and that was it. And uh, um, I had one, I mean, I, I hate to reveal this kind of thing, there was there was one moment where I think I uh, there's a turnaround and I, I forgot that we had an extra bar in there and I came in early, but we realized it was something we could take out and, uh, and so I because I knew it was there you know you get a little neurotic and especially singers do this you know and you think oh no I, I got to do it again I got to do it again I got to fix this you know and Todd was like Stevie, no way <laughs> you are not touching this vocal <laughs> we will take that stupid entrance out you are not touching it we're not redoing it you know we're not anything and. Uh, and he was just so excited about it. And, it. and it took me to just get over, you know, the, the, the whatever my reaction was and accept, okay, one take. And, and actually, we, we had that success with a few of the, the songs. But, but Lazy Afternoon was um, something that we were all really happy with. It was just one of those great magical moments, you know, where it just came together. And and when you can just, and, and we didn't, we didn't, we had rehearsed it, you know, a week before or whatever. And, and we didn't run it over in the studio. It was just one of those, let's go with it. And, and we did it, and, and it was uh, um, it was a joy for us. So that was it. So I think when Todd when Todd said that, uh, he first said it to me, you know, that it was one of his finest. He was really happy with the performance, and so we left it alone. It's a lazy afternoon, and the beetle bugs are zooming. And the tulip trees are blooming And there's not another human in view But us two It's a lazy afternoon And the farmer is weeping and the meadow cows are sleeping and the speckled trout stop weeping upstream as we dream a fat pink cloud hangs over the Unfolding like a rose If you hold my hand And sit real still You can hear the ground Let's talk about uh, the arranger on this album. Oh, God. I, I know, I, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure he, he's probably in the next room wondering if I'm going to be talking about him. <laughs> Maybe he's on the extension phone, right? right you better not get hang up. No, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> yes, Gary William Freeman. Um, we have uh, we were we were introduced by mutual friends. Uh, actually, there's a Carly Simon song on this album. Her, her sister and, and uh, late husband uh, were friends of each of ours and uh, introduced us as songwriting collaborators. 
and uh, we first started working together professionally and then somehow stupidly personally got involved, and the rest, they say, is history. Gary William Freeman is a heavy-duty award-winning composer in theater and film, and actually we just uh, he's just put out a classical album this week, um, which we're excited about, and uh, we've been working on... Um, on, on on our songwriting and then he's he's my go to guy for for all of the charts. Um he, we we have a really uh, I'm blessed with a really great collaboration with a with a really terrific musician. And that's all the nice that's the only nice things I'm gonna say about them. Okay. <laughs> Good. I don't want to talk about anything else about him because he's my husband so I'll edit anything else out if you accidentally <laughs> mention him. how do you how do you two work uh, in terms of the the songs that you write together? Is the, the lyric first, is the melody first? How does that work? I, don't I know everybody would, asks yeah, that question. I would say Nineteen out of twenty times, the lyric is first. Usually, I get an idea and I start, you know, scribbling it down. And once I put it in some kind of form and I'm excited about it, I'll bring it into him. And then uh, we really do. Um, I mean, once in a while, it'll be just purely. Uh, I mean, once in a while, he'll he'll purely set a lyric, or once in a while, he'll give me a piece of music and I'll purely set it. But most of the time, we we really sit down and um, kill each other and then collaborate. Uh, and and I will, you know, tweak the music a little bit here. He might tweak a word here and there, and we really share on the process together. And uh, until we've got it, got it to uh, meet both of our satisfaction. Do you think that that process is made easier or more difficult by your personal relationship? Well, as I was starting to say before, the the the, the good part of our um, professional relationship is that we really we established that first. So we we met under professional circumstances. We started working together, and so we, we grew. You know, we respected each other. Artistically and professionally, ah, uh, you know, I, I can say that, and then I can also say you're married, and I'm not going to say that the sparks don't fly and and the the voices don't get a little too loud, and we, you know, the heat the heat heat goes on, and you do take liberties when you're married with each other. <laughs> what were you thinking? No, that's stupid. You know, whatever. So you try to uh, you try to be uh, respectful and 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 uh, and dignified, which we are most of the time, and and uh, clear headed. But sometimes the personal relationship can can get in the way. You've got a really uh, wonderful band with you on this record. Will you tell us about who's playing on the album? Sure. Um, This is my second time working with Martin Bejarano, who is uh, just a a brilliant pianist, uh, a solo artist in his own right and with his own groups. Um, What's so amazing about Martin is that he is such a such a high-quality musician and and soloist, but he's had this great opportunity to be touring for years now with with Roy Haynes and, and. backing him and supporting him, and also Russell Malone. And so Martin has this really unique ability to 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 comp and support an artist um, in such a such a sensitive way. You know, he really. Um, I, I'm very blessed because it's it's not easy when you got a guy who's a really brilliant player. You know, uh, you know, egos can get in the way, and, and they're not necessarily the best accompanist or comper. But Martin is uh, he's a dream. He's just a dream, and he's a sweetheart as a human being. Um, Edward Perez, we've done some live work together. He's a bass player, and he's uh, he's a young, up and coming, fabulous musician, and, and a delight to work with. And I was thrilled to get uh, this is my first time working with Willie Jones, the third, and he, you know, again we're talking about one of the one of the hottest, most terrific uh, drummers out there right now on the scene. He's he's just great. Um, I had first seen him at Birdland with Kurt Elling, and uh, and I guess their their relationship had just because uh, he was with Kurt for. Um, going on two years, I suppose, and uh, so whatever happened that that they parted ways, um, I know they amicably. Um, we were lucky enough to get Willie on this gig, so and he's uh, been performing with me too. And Oli Matisson, as I said, is a fellow Viking 
the saxophone player we met when I sang for the King and Queen of Norway a few years back, and, and we've been doing some projects together. And Todd Barkin uh, introduced me to Paul Ballenbeck, who's uh, just a, a a number one guitar player. So it's just, you know, I I I'm I feel very I feel too blessed. I've just got a stellar group of musicians on this album, and it makes it such an incredible joy. I can't tell you. Now you you glided over it quite nonchalantly, but uh, let's skip back a sentence or two to the King and Queen of Norway. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> who I, I don't remember ever playing for in in any part of my life. So no, let's let's no. talk about how you ended up. They're doing very that. nice, very dead to earth. Um, a couple of albums back, uh, it was an album called Restless Willow. Uh, I, well, all right, I'll skip back a little bit. My Gary, my my partner and arranger and, and husband there, he I'm half Italian and half Norwegian, and and he basically did not find the Italian thing interesting. He found the Viking thing very exotic, and so he wanted me to push the Norwegian. Uh, aspects. So I, I started doing in some shows uh, uh, this this Edward Grieg song that my mother sang, uh, I remember when I was a kid. And uh, so I would make this little joke about how I've got to, you know, satisfy my husband's Viking fantasies, and I'd sing this song. Okay, long story uh, short, uh, hopefully, we basically, since it's 140 years old and in the public domain, we felt, ah, you know, this song could really be expanded. Um, so I added new lyrics, and Gary wrote new music, and we incorporated the Grieg into our song as an introduction, and then we put it out there on this album. And it was really, it was a jazz album, and this was sort of a, I don't know what, an international pop song. I don't, it wasn't quite, I couldn't really call it a jazz song. But uh, we put it out there and, and did some press releases in Norwegian, and I was, I was scared to death. I thought, oh, my God, these Norwegians are going to get so angry with me messing around with Grieg. And uh, before I knew it, I was. We heard from the ambassador and the consul general, and and the chamber of commerce contacted my publicist and just said we'd like to talk to Stevie Holland about an opportunity to sing for a Norwegian American audience. And uh, it was a few years ago. It was Norway's hundredth anniversary of their independence from Sweden, and um, so the king and queen came in. And this was a very uh, intimate, private event uh, with just several other um, pretty heavy Norwegian artists. I was the only. I was the mutt, the token Norwegian American. And it was quite a quite a kick, quite a thrill. So I've I've I've, I've been getting 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 back to my Norwegian roots and and uh, and connecting with uh, a lot of Norwegians since. But that's that's the king and queen story. Well, what a thrill! That's pretty that's pretty incredible. Liz, I well, I, I had to peel my mother off the floor. I mean, that would believe me. That was uh, it was very it was a very exciting exciting event in the family. <laughs> now, one thing I noticed on this record. Uh, for one thing, as you've already mentioned, it's really a, an album of ballads primarily, and uh, that really exposes you as a singer. There are a lot of places where you're backed only by one other musician. A couple times it's the bassist, and you are way out there in front uh, with, yeah. with no net. Uh, I, I wonder about what that's like for you as a singer. Oh, it's great. It's it's. Uh, I mean, again, I have to go back to saying when you've got such great musicians, it's, you know, it, it, it may sound like, you know, it may feel like there's no net, but there is a net, because when you're, I mean, look, I, mean, I could sing a cappella, okay, then there's, then there's no net, but, uh, but um, when you, if it's just me and the bass player, I, there's a, you know, we have a beautiful musical dialogue going on, I know he's there, I know we're, you know, we're together, and I feel totally supported, um, and, but it's fun, it's about taking a risk, you know, I mean, you don't want to be just, I don't, I don't want to just be hidden and cloaked by a big sound, I'd like to, to put my my voice and my story out there. So uh, it was it was a nice a nice experience on this project to to allow for that intimacy. I, we're, we're, this is this is definitely one of the most um, dare if I will say vulnerable uh, albums that I've that I've worked on. And so it's it was a wonderful experience. 
Sounds great. Well, the album is uh, is really wonderful, and it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I hope well, you'll come back you, again. Likewise. I've, I've enjoyed talking to you, too. Thank you so much. was Stevie Holland from her new recording, Before Love Has Gone. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. It's also at thejazzsession.com. You can also uh, contact me anytime via email, jason at thejazzsession.com, or give me a call at 631-619-JAZZ. That's 631-619-5299. I've got a mailing list for this show. I'd love to have you on it. You'll get information about upcoming guests. You'll always be the first person to know about contests. And there's lots of other cool things that come with the mailing list. No spam, but uh, please do sign up. You can do that right at thejazzsession.com. Just scroll down a little bit on the left-hand side, and you'll see a link for the mailing list. Don't forget to donate to our Cause of the Months, which uh, at the moment is Musicians Village down in New Orleans. I'm sure they could use your help, and uh, I'd greatly appreciate it. Although I'll never know if you do, unless you tell me. We've got just a ridiculous number of great guests already recorded, and an equally ridiculous number coming down the pike. It's a very uh, fertile period for the jazz session, and the thing that makes it the most fun is you. So thank you so much for being here to listen to this show, and please come back again next week for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session.
Thank you for listening. Bye.